This episode of Real Trail Talk is brought to you by Studio, a Swedish headphone company making great quality products for a fraction of the cost. And for Trail Talk listeners, you can get 15% off any order if you use the code TRAILTALK, or one word. And for every order, it's free international shipping. So it's Studio, which is studio without the T. Hi, and welcome to Real Trail Talk. I am Donovan D'Souza from The Long Way's Better. And I'm Mark Pybus from The Life of Pi. Welcome to episode 17. We have a very special guest in again. Welcome Steve from the Billman Track Foundation. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Yeah, so we got Steve on because he originally came in to do Collie to Bailing Up and we ran out of time, let's <laughs> just we say did. that. We didn't expect it to go on for an hour. So we had a whole load of questions we're going to ask Steve about his role at the foundation and the events that they run. So we've got him back. We have a, a finite window of time that Steve is in the country. Yes. So great to have you back, Steve. And we can finally talk about all the great work that the foundation does. I look forward to it. But first, before we get into that, I was reading my favorite hiking magazine, Great Walks, which I think probably a lot of mm. our listeners read, read as well. Yep. And in the previous issue, I noticed that there was this discussion and it comes on that, that sort of rears its head every now and then. And it's the, the debate about what do we call hiking in Australia or walking in Australia? Is it hiking? Is it bushwalking? Is it a track? Is it a trail? And this is something that I feel is not as much of an issue in Western Australia. However, it seems to be a bit of an issue with some people in the Eastern States. Hmm. And you wrote a response, which I think was really good. And you defined what those four words mean. I think that that would be a really useful way of, I guess, framing the conversation. Because I think what you wrote is a really solid way of thinking about it that's different to the, you know, the, it, it, you know, it doesn't have a conflict to it. So if, I was wondering if hmm. you could share that with our listeners. Yeah, okay. So again, I, I, I'd agree with you that, you know, it's not a huge issue over here. I have come across it once or twice. I do remember probably about two or three years ago, someone approached me, it might have been at a conference or something like that, or possibly even out on the track. And someone said, we fought really hard in the early days to make sure the Bibbleman track was called the Bibbleman track and not the Bibbleman trail. And the conversation from there flowed in onto why, because that's the first time I'd even thought about any distinction in the, in the words. Right. Um, so I guess it's evolved, you know, over time, as I wrote in that article, you know, it's all about changing. Um, nothing's, you know, definite and set in concrete all the time. But I guess for us at the foundation, because I had a little bit of a think about it, and I think I even might have asked a few people. But I guess for us, bushwalking is something we do in the bush. Okay, it, it, it may take on different forms. It might be longer, it might be shorter. It may be on a track, it may not. So you might just be following a compass or a, or a GPS. Trekking, on the other hand, I guess more for me and us at the foundation, it's, you know, it's more purposeful. You've got your backpack, you've got your gear. So more likely you're going to be staying overnight, but not necessarily. I don't know, I guess it's that walking with purpose, bushwalking with purpose. And I guess I'd also distinguish bushwalking and trekking. Now, here's an illustration. I did the Camino a couple of years ago. I would still call it a hike, but I wouldn't call it a bushwalk just because of the nature of it. You don't go through much 
bush, it's more kind of developed areas that you're walking through. So there is that distinction there as well. Tracks and trails is an interesting one. Um, in the article, I wrote that you know you can have various types of trails. You can have canoe trails, dive trails, cycling trails. And I guess for us, a track is more because I guess we're probably used to it. It's more of a walking track, so it's something completely different to a trail, I guess, in that sense. But I guess the the point I'm also trying to make is that people will come to their own conclusions. And again, like you said, Donovan, it's not that big an issue over here. So, yeah, not a big deal. But I think don't get too hung up on it and things change anyway. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I remember when we did the Overland track in Bert Nichols' hut, there's this big poster and it says, you know, go on a great tramp, the Overland track. So obviously right. at some stage, tramp was used in Tasmania, yeah. but it fell out of favor. Mm. So language is always changing. And Absolutely. at some stage, that would have been the word that they used. Yeah, they had like a New Zealander running the marketing campaign or something. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, tramping and rambling and trekking and hiking, you know, what do you feel comfortable with? Use that Mm -hmm. word. (laughs) I mean, I've never really, like, I don't have a preference. Most of the time I call it hiking just because it it rolls off the tongue. But to Mm. me, you're in forest, you're not in bush. Uh, I don't know why I just have this not negative connotation about the word bush, but... To me, it's through forest, and it's always different forest type. You say the bush, that yeah. could mean anything. Mm. Whereas, like, the billman goes through Cary, goes through Jarrah, it's on beaches, you wouldn't call that bushwalking. It's yeah. kind of that variety. Yeah, I, I can see what you're getting at. Um, yeah, see, for me, the word bushwalking is different from the word bush. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. um, a bush as opposed to the bush in the forest kind yeah. of thing. Um, yeah. I can see where you're coming from. Um, mm. But again, you know, I, I just don't get too hung up on it. And I don't know why over east they may do. Yeah. And I think bushwalking as well, especially in WA, has got this kind of stigma around it that it's old men with their akubras and their maps and their compasses going off into the bush. and. Right. That's it. So I don't know that right. the bushwalking WA is actually thinking about changing their name to hiking specifically because of like people like me and Donovan, the younger generation are now taking it up, mm. don't necessarily want to do that mm. and they're calling it hiking or mm. walking or whatever they want to call it. Mm. Yeah. So it's interesting that they're kind of realizing that rather than sticking mm. to their guns of it must be bushwalking or it must be this or that. Mm. Yeah. I don't, I don't often use the word bushwalking myself personally. I would say hike or possibly trek, mm. depending on, you know, if a trek for me is a bit more of a hike, more th- more than a hike, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyone who's really uh, keen about the names and the Billman Foundation is Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, no that's huts. when you talk to huts at uh, shelters. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> with with that in mind, yeah, the Billman track must. You know, sh- surely if you're looking at an international audience, mm. hiking is a much more universal term mm-hmm. that people from overseas, are, when they're looking up longest hikes or best hikes mm. in Australia, mm. surely that there's a little bit of that. You need to kind of the, skew your words to get those people the, to come. The terminology matters is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think we have... Sp- use the words, you know, here and there throughout our website, I guess. But, yes, it is called the Bibbulmun Track. 
I don't think we need to change it. But, you know, we refer to it as some of the best bushwalking, some of the best hikes, some, of, mm. you know. Um, I mean, even if you look at Trails WA, it's not Tracks WA, I guess. It's, you know, uses the words trails. So, it, But then that brings you back to the point of you could have a canoe trail or a snorkel yeah, trail. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know. I don't know that that would stop people finding out about the Boomerman Track if mm. it was just... You know, they were looking just for a specific word. I think um, I think they're pretty interchangeable. Mm. Maybe we should yeah. change our name to Real Track Talk. <laughs> we don't really yeah. talk about canoeing or snorkeling. <laughs> Either that or we're going to be all excommunicated from the, the, the rest of Australia yeah. when it's when it's hiking Australia. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and Real Track Talk. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't sound very good. <laughs> I think I think what flows off the tongue best is the way to go. Um, you know, the the Mundabidi Trail just mm. sounds better than Mundabidi Track. track yeah, yeah. You know, and Bilman Track just kind of sits right. I don't know what it is. It's and just, one of our yeah. favourite phrases of hike your own hike is bushwalk your own bushwalk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We like, should remember that when we have our episode on that. Yeah, like double sheltering. Or double campsiting, it yeah. doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there's also, I did come across this kind of Australian versus, I don't know, I guess Americanization of terminology too. And that's what mm. this guy that I met all those years ago was on about. He says, don't call it a trail, that's American. Is it? <laughs> well, know? no, because the World Maybe. Trails Network, which is not based in America, is the Trails Network. It's not the Track Network or right. any of that. Right, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, I think we should maybe move on to talking about the Bibbleman Track Foundation and your role in the foundation. Mm. So, you run a lot of the events. What are some of the events that the foundation run and how fit do you have to be to participate? So, the whole idea behind our events program is to get beginners out there. Dispel some of the myths, you know, get them used to being out in the bush, um, equip them with confidence, skills, all that kind of thing. So the range of events that we run um, cater to that. So you'll have beginner day walks through to experienced day walks, beginner overnight walks to experienced overnight walks as well. Um, and they really are geared up to people who have never done it before. And they have such a huge range that you can kind of jump it at any point. So, for example, you can start with a few day walks or you can get going straight away with an overnight beginner's walk. Um, I guess coupled with that are the workshops that we do. So it's not all hands-on necessarily. We will give you a bit of theory too if you want that as well. So you can come into our getting into gear workshop and learn about the different types of gear, both for day walking and overnight walking. You can come to our end-to-enders workshop if that's what you're aiming to do, but you can start off with some of the you know shorter walks as well. The food workshops and the navigation workshops come into that too. I guess people sometimes ask me, you know, what's one of the best things that you notice about the people that come and do your events? It's when they think, oh, they ring up and they go, I want to do this beginner's day walk, but I don't know if I'm fit enough. I think I might be too old whole you know barriers come up for them and they yeah. you can see they're trying to push past them they just need that little push just to get past it the bit of confidence and they do they get that and they come on the day walk um and they love it and then the next thing you know you see them out on the track doing an end-to-end 
Yeah. You know, they go through the whole lot. They'll go, they'll do a few day walks. They'll meet other people on the on those walks too because they might not have a partner that's into it or any friends. You know, they kind of feel a bit isolated in that sense and so they're not in their comfort zone. So getting into that zone, that comfort zone, getting out there doing it and then working the way up if you like, through all the different kinds of walks to do an end-to-end is, is fantastic. And that's what the whole program is designed to do. It's designed to get people out there in the first place, get them equipped, get them skilled. So to answer your second, the second part of that question, you don't have to be that fit at all. Obviously, you need some degree of fitness. Um, I do often say to people, well, what kind of walking have you done in the past? And sometimes they'll say, oh, I'll walk around the block each afternoon. I'm going me a little bit about that you know how long do you go for are there any hills is it all on pavement or do you go through a bit of bushland you know that kind of thing so and then once i get a bit of an idea of where they're at then i can recommend the best walk for them to start with you know it might just be a really short walk from um say the hills forest out to ball creek you know just a really easy introduction not too hilly very short they know they're going to be back at the car pretty soon Mm. um so really you know, as long as you have a some kind of level of fitness, like you're not a couch potato, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think you're fine. You yeah. know, it's uh, and the the bibbulmun track is you know the bib tracks designed that way too. You know, for some sections you can do that. You know, it's good. Um, but that's that's basically it. You know, that we run all these programs to gear people up. And the best bit about it is when I get someone, and this has happened a few times, they've joined up, never walked before. You know, and they might be in their fifties or sixties. They'll do a day walk, they'll do an overnight. I'll bump into them out there doing an end-to-end, which is fabulous to see. I really get a kick out of that. Mm. But then they come back and volunteer. And in some cases, they've become volunteer guides. So that's just awesome. That <laughs> that, mm. that floats my boat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to go from completely inexperienced yeah. to actually being a veteran who's helping others. Absolutely. Is, amazing. Absolutely. And, mm. and that's what it's all about. You know, my whole purpose, my personal reason for doing all of this too, is to get people back into nature, get people passionate about it, and share that passion with everyone else. Because mm. you've got to start somewhere. Like it's literally mm. that first step Absolutely. on your journey. And on that point, like one of the... Um, workshops that you do is Getting Lost with Steve, which yeah. I imagine is quite a lot of fun to do. Mm. Has anyone ever really got lost, not with Steve, but when Steve's been there? <laughs> um, no, not really. <laughs> um, some people have become geographically embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give that one. That's a good uh, <laughs> but not lost, lost. You know, I, yeah, lost is a bit of a four-letter word, even that's the title of that event. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, I have had some situations where we're walking through the bush, not on track. We're doing map and compass, you know. They're, they're staggered, so they're, you're not following each other. And I'm trying to keep an eye on all of them. So I'm kind of bouncing across you know the mm. groups and that's really interesting because they're not paying attention to me because they're focusing on the compass and tr- trying to get it right so they don't get lost and the the reactions i get when i'm kind of sitting on a log and they just walk past me and don't even <laughs> notice me until i move you know it's it's <laughs> i suppose it's, on one hand that's good. not great because you're supposed to be looking out for markers when you're actually on the bib so not noticing a fully grown human <laughs> sitting on a log <laughs> 
Well, because I, I, I'll give a bit of leeway because the last time they saw me, I might have been way behind them or something like that. Yeah. And I'll just do a bit of a, you know, creep around so I don't get in their way or throw them off their bearing or whatever. So, you know, some of their reactions <laughs> are pretty funny. But the, the best reactions, I think, are when they actually see their destination, where, whether it be Ball Creek campsite that we're heading to or whatever it is, and they, their face just lights up. Mm. And I was like, yeah, cool. Okay, that's, that's part of it. But no one's really got lost... Um, we do the advanced course, which is Get Found with Steve, and that's as part of the Rogain, the WA Rogaining Association. And my partner got lost <laughs> in that one, my Rogaining partner. Um, I was kind of instructing some of the group because they were at the same control, and I was just checking their routes and make sure they had their bearings up because they were about to go off on their own kind of their own way. And I turn around and look for Ian who was one of our guides. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, and I went, where's Ian? Anyone seen Ian? And all of a sudden, I was standing there on my own. There was no one around me. And I'm going, okay, this isn't good. So I searched for ages. And the next thing I know, one of the patrol cars come up and said to me, have you lost Ian? And I went, yeah. And he goes, he's back at camp. By the way, you're disqualified because you split up. <laughs> So, yeah, anyway, you get that. But it is a lot of fun, both of those courses. Yeah, very good fun. Hmm. Um, you recently returned from an adventurous trip to Nepal, both on behalf of the foundation running a tour and also for some personal hiking as well. Could you tell us what was involved with the tour that the foundation ran and also about your adventures afterwards hiking up to the Annapurna Base Camp? Pretty amazing trip. Um, it's been about 15 years since I was in Nepal last. Um, it's changed a lot. Um, but what we what we did was, I wasn't actually supposed to go. This all kind of happened bit by chance. Um, so there was a group organised to go to Nepal, and it was two. There were two parts to it. The first part was participating in helping to rebuild a school that was damaged by the earthquake. So, and that was about four days or so. So that was the first part of the trip. Um, and as part of that, there was also the trek after it, which was for about eight days or so. And it filled up really quickly. And Linda, the executive director, she was um, escorting that trip. And it wasn't long when she came over and says, what are you doing? This was some time ago, last year. And she said, what are you doing next year in March? And I went, working? Why? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, well, we're going to get another trip away, we think, so need to be available. So it happened, basically. So, But um, although the trip I went with was the second trip, it actually went first. So we headed over um, at Easter and um, met we actually did quite a bit of training too, so I got to know most of the group, which is always really good. And we headed over to Nepal, stayed a couple of days in Kathmandu, and we headed up to a village not far from a town called Malanchi, which is only about 75 k's northeast or so from Kathmandu, but a five-hour drive. Very bumpy road. <laughs> Very bumpy road. Um, but look, the experience was fantastic. We got to meet the kids. We got to meet the parents and the teachers. And it was also hard work because we were digging holes for the foundations for this school um, through rock. Mm -hmm. And so every shovel load of dirt that you pulled out of that hole, you first had to use your pickaxe on to dig, you know, oh, break God. up the rock. 
<laughs> it was we had a lot of fun but it was really hard work but it was it was so beautiful the 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 kids and the the teachers the whole community the whole village up there welcomed us when we arrived it was this beautiful kind of yeah um they all gathered there and they also gave us gifts they gave us at the end when we finished they had a little ceremony they sang for us they danced for us it was really awesome um and in turn we also gave them gifts as well to the school things like uh, reading materials, backpacks, soccer balls, that kind of thing too. So it was a, mm. a beautiful way to get to know the locals. It really, really was magic, as opposed to just going on a trek and experiencing the country that way, which is great, mm. but really getting to know the locals. And we also did a tour of the village too. It was just, you know, wish we could have been there longer actually. Um, four days, you know, at the end of it, you think, not enough, you know. Mm. <laughs> it would have been nice just to completely immerse yourself there. But, you know, you really got to see um, how hard life is there, particularly after the earthquake. Mm. Um, yeah, so real eye-opener. Um, but I've always loved, loved Nepal from that first time that I went 15 years ago. And the people are just amazing, very inspirational and so humble. You know, they're so proud of what they have. And by our standards, you know, it's not a whole lot. Mm. You know, and, and <clears throat> you know... You know, that phrase people sometimes, the throwaway phrase people sometimes say, you know, first world problems kind of thing, it really hits home. You know, some of the things, you know, like burnt chara. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up. I was, <laughs> oh, is this a burnt jar free podcast? <laughs> I, I was, I was going to be like, um, this is, I'm in, in, in stating a, uh, like a swear jar where I don't mention it unless it's, you know, completely. Okay, well, you, you haven't said it yet. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Every time you mention burnt jar, you have to go and buy and plant a jar tree somewhere. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, that's hard work. Can, can it be Wandu instead? <laughs> Just not the one I gave you. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, um, yeah, so that was the, the rebuild part of the of the trek. And then we headed back to Kathmandu and then we flew out to Pokhara, um, out towards the Annapurna Sanctuary where we did our walk um, of about eight days. And this was all through World Expeditions. Um and it was also to raise funds for the foundation too. So um, that was really good because by the end of it, after the both trips, we um, I think we raised $6,000 for the foundation. So it's pretty worthwhile for us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, wor- the walk itself that we all did after was awesome. It followed some of the main trails, but then got off the main trails too. So while some of them were pretty busy, went to some pretty major towns, well, villages, we also got off track after, which was really great, um, interacting with farmers and just people again. It was just lovely. Um, the scenery was fantastic. I hear from the other group that they had a few more cloudy days than what we did. So some of the mountain scenery wasn't quite as good as ours, just looking at the photos, but still spectacular. Um, just yeah. just amazing country. And I'd never been out to the Annapurnas, so that was my first time there. And, you know, every day you wake up in this crisp, clear vision of the the mountains was just amazing and the trek itself was great it was fully supported so it was day packs only you had your porters and they did all the cooking and the food was amazing three course meals you know three times a day which is a bit crazy (laughs) i mean you're you're walking but not that hard (laughs) and yeah but the 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 lengths that they went to just to please us was 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 great um and we became friends with them too you know it was great just joke around with all the guys and you know really good crew really good guides um and right into it as well you could tell 
they were passionate about what they do too. And, you know, that yeah. rubs off. Having so. been on a world expeditions tour, I, right. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And mm. then afterwards, the, the Billman Track Tour finished and mm. you went off on your own to do I did. Annapurna Base Camp. Yeah, because I had some extra time and I thought, <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to get back to Nepal. And with everything else that gone on with the foundation between January and March, I thought I need a real holiday. So I actually went out for some me time. Mm. And that's what it was about. So I thought, well, I haven't been. To, I've been to Everest Base Camp. Now it's time for Annapurna Base Camp. So yeah, that was a eight day. Well, I actually allowed myself ten days. I did it in eight plus a rest day. I actually did it a bit quicker. So you did it by yourself. Unassisted. Yeah, I did unassisted. I carried all my gear. I carried way too much. <laughs> I really, because I'd heard stories and I'd read lots of blogs about lodges being full and not enough blankets. So take your own sleeping bag and then you might be sleeping on the floor. So I took my air mattress as well. Mm. I didn't take some food or my stove or anything like that, obviously, because there's so many lodges and tea houses along the way. And that, that was great. I actually got a bed every single night. I got shifted one particular night, but it didn't bother me. I still got another bed. But yeah, my pack was pretty heavy. <laughs> but that was good. I did it on my own. And I kind of did it because... I I wanted a bit of a stress-free walk. And by that, I mean I didn't want to be responsible for anyone else for a change, mm. but also didn't want, in the case of, say, for example, hiring a porter, I didn't want to have to worry about is my luggage going to turn up or anything else. I just, didn't, I just wanted to be self-contained unit and do yeah. it myself. It was kind of meditative for me. So, yeah, I just did it on my own, and it was fantastic. I met lots of people. Um, I hiked with two Buddhist monks for a little while. That was brilliant, getting past the language barrier. That was interesting. Um, there's, there's conversations that we had, which was done a lot by hands and pointing, which I obviously can't do over the podcast, but it was really fantastic. I met, um, oh, one thing I did notice in that 15 years, um, since being there last was a lot of Nepalese are hiking now. That wasn't the case 15 years ago. Really? Yeah. The only Nepalese you'd see out there would be the porters or the guides or, you know, the locals. Right. And there were quite a few. Anyway, I met this couple and I started talking to them and I thought, you've got a really, you know, your English is really good and it's not Americanized, which sometimes is when people mm. in, in other countries talk English. Mm. And they said, yeah, that's because we live in Canberra. <laughs> they were a Nepalese couple, you know, they're from Kathmandu and they're working over in Canberra. So it's yeah. <laughs> brilliant. So, yeah, like, what are all these crazy Westerners doing yeah. all the time? Let's give this a try. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so that was really good too. But I guess I was so lucky uh, on my trek up to Annapurna Base Camp too, because what people usually do is they um, go up to. There's another base camp there, Machapuchere base camp, which is the sacred mountain, which you're not allowed to climb. Yeah. So not really any point having a base camp, but it's there. Mm. Um, and you kind of spend the night there or the camp before it and then go up to Annapurna base camp, we'll call it ABC, um, for the sunrise. And then as soon as the sun rises, you get your photos, you'd leave. I thought, I've come all this way. I'm not just going to spend an hour yeah. or two there, watch the sun come up and disappear. And a lot of people did do that. And the people I was passing, they were coming down thoroughly disappointed because there were no views. It was completely cloudy. They stayed, got up there for the sunrise and it didn't happen. Mm. So I dumped my gear at the MBC, Machapuchere Base Camp, and went from MBC straight up to ABC and got a glimpse of everything before the clouds came in that afternoon. We hung around for a while. There was a few of us that did the same thing. 
and then decided, okay, it's not going to happen. So we went back down to NBC where we'd left our gear, at which point it was completely starting to white out. Um, the valley, the walk is about two hours up and about an hour back. Um, and the interesting thing about ABC, which I didn't realise, even just I didn't comprehend it looking at the map, the way you enter into the valley, it seems like when you get there, it's 360 degree mountains all the way around. It's like a bowl. So it's mm. pretty amazing. We got back to NBC and it started to clear. I went, oh, darn it, should have stayed a bit longer. <laughs> anyway, so I thought, okay, well, this is it. Um, I'm going to head back up there for the sunrise. <laughs> I'm going to leave at four o'clock in the morning yeah. and get up there as the sun's coming up. And I did, and it was spectacular. It was really amazing. What I did the day before when I was up there, I actually, actually asked the lodges, there's four lodges, and all of them were full. I said, do you have any beds? They said, no, nah, we're chockers. There's groups coming up. and mm. They didn't actually say chockers, though, did they? <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, just, I've said that a few times overseas and just had... Got funny looks. Chockers. <laughs> chocolate. Yeah, we sell chocolate. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, that were full. <laughs> and I said, to the, I said to one of the guys, because I'd been there for a while waiting for it to clear, one of the lodges, and I said, look... Anything can give me. I said, I'm even happy to sleep in the lounge room. I have got my air mattress. I brought it. I might as well use it, right? And he said to me, he saw the desperation in my eyes, I think. And he said, come back. I'll get you something. I thought, great, bonus. So I went back down, 4 o'clock in the morning the next day, headed back up. It was brilliant. Clear and crisp and ah, uh, just absolutely amazing. At the, as that sun, Even before sunrise, you could just you know see the hues. The colours were just brilliant. Anyway, got up to the top there, got my photos, and I went into the lodge to have breakfast, and the guy saw me and says, I've got a bed for you. I went, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Bonus! So when everyone else left after having good views, you know, they headed off, mm. the whole place was quiet, and I was sitting, I've got a photo of myself with my little tablet because I was doing <laughs> some emailing. Everywhere, it's got Wi-Fi everywhere on this trip. It's incredible. It's like, what? <laughs> what happened in 15 years? Anyway, so... Um, I'm there doing my emailing. There's no one around. And I took a photo of myself sitting at this table with this beautiful valley view in front of me. And I'm just sitting there in the peace and quiet. And then the first trekkers come, you know, one and then two and then three. And then, and then the helicopters as well, because people take flights up there from Pokhara. And I was like, really? <laughs> but anyway, that's fine. That's how they do it. And I thought, cool, I've got my bed tonight. It's going to be awesome. Anyway, that afternoon, it started to snow. And I thought, am I going to get another sunrise out of this or is it just going to be a complete waste of time? Should I head it down with everyone else? And I was sitting, laying down in my bed, looking out my window, watching the snow come down. And it was just spectacular. I woke up at about four again in the morning, completely clear, clear skies. I could see the stars over the mountains. I was like, bonus, got two days in a row of this sensational sunrise. Yeah, it was just magic. It was um, brilliant. And this couple that I was telling you about that from um, Canberra, they actually came up for that first sunrise, uh, the, that afternoon, I should say, didn't see anything and they left. And then they came back the next day from a previous campsite. They hiked for like four hours to come back up because when they woke up down there, they saw it was clear and they just said, no, nah, we're going back. Yeah. And they rocked up and that was just, yeah, sensational to see them. Um, yeah, look, it's it's not a overly difficult walk. You do have to think about altitude as well, because at um, ABC you're about four thousand one hundred meters, um, so there's definitely an impact there of altitude. Um, so you do have to take it easy. Um, 
Yeah, I wasn't sure how I was going to take it because I had a little bit of altitude issues when I did Everest Base Camp, about five and a half. It wasn't so bad, but it's just an amazing trick. So if you've ever got the opportunity, do it. Mm. Having mm. done both, mm. which do you think is the better or the one that people mm. should do first? I would, well, okay, so two, I can answer that two because ways. Different so, questions, I guess. Yeah. yeah, so Annapurna, I think, is much more beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, especially than than Everest Base Camp itself. Everest Base Camp itself is a bit of a moonscape. Even photos you see of it, you know. It's kind of like, you know, I'm going to Everest Base Camp to say that I've been there. And that's what it was like for me the first time I went. It wasn't actually the most beautiful part of it. The trick through the villages was that was great and we haven't we went to Kalapatar, which is above Everest Base Camp. That was spectacular. But I think I'd go back to Annapurna's because the other thing is too, I mean, there's lots of walks you can do in the Annapurna's, and I'd really love to do the Annapurna circuit, mm. um, which would be amazing. There's other walks you can do from Everest Base Camp. There's Gokir Lakes and things like that too. Um, I'd head to Annapurna's. Yeah. That's my personal view. And other people um, going, no, Everest, let's do Everest. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's I think Everest has that kind of like bucket list attached yeah, to it. Does. It. it does. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it's the same thing people say about you know Machu Picchu. There's, there's much better trails in South America, but that's the one everyone goes. Yeah. Oh, are you gonna do that one? Because you can get like a Groupon deal or something to go there. I think. <laughs> oh God. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I know someone who went there. And hey Claire, <laughs> um, and she actually met her now boyfriend there because she wasn't terribly prepared. I think she'd admit that. And then yeah, right. he kind of rescued her and yeah, love blossomed from there. But yeah. They're all on Groupons, which I thought was a bit weird for a trekking holiday, mm. not necessarily like a Kentucky or something like that. That seems crassly commercial <laughs> to have <laughs> yeah. Groupons. But look, hey, anywhere in Nepal is fabulous. It's mm. amazing country. Yeah. All right, well, we'll get back down to earth a little mm. bit because you do have a job and it is with the foundation. <laughs> yes. Um, and as we talked about um, before you were, uh, when you were on, we didn't have a, an exact location we could broadcast that was right we didn't say that you'd moved into a new building oh, there was a new building yes um and that's now been confirmed you're at the yes. yha that's on right. wellington street yeah how's the move gone and kind of what's the the culture like and the atmosphere at the new thing because you're kind of with backpackers rather yeah. than mountain design customers <laughs> yeah so a bit different um i guess Wow. So uh, keep in mind that I haven't actually been there for the last month. Um, we kind of moved in and then I went to Nepal. So um, it's interesting just going back and I've only been back two days in the office. Um, so it is a di different atmosphere. I think we've settled in pretty well. Um, it's only been a few months. I still think we're finding our feet. Um, but yeah, it is a, a different... Oh, you know what? <laughs> It's actually the other side of the city, which I'm not used to. I'm used to the western side of the mall, and now we're kind of on the east. Where are all my good coffee shops gone? <laughs> <laughs> we are finding them. That's kind of like been one of, I gave the task to one of my volunteers to go find the best coffee shop, and they failed. <laughs> and I was like, where's the best ones? <laughs> no, they don't have bonsai soy milk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, having walked there from my office, you kind of get to a point in the city walking, um, what is it, east? Yeah. 
and then it kind of goes from all this modern stuff to then yeah. like mm, this is a bit of the city people don't like <laughs> and then you're there at the the Billman track office yeah well they are they are trying starting to develop that end so Pier Street's coming along quite well but yeah look it, it's fine it's it's great it's good to be um, good to have somewhere to be um, absolutely because that was a very stressful time working out of an office that was tiny running the foundation out of my front bedroom um, which was probably smaller than this room that we're in at the moment <laughs> not that everyone can see but um yeah look working in a different different atmosphere is interesting too um i am missing some of the things that you know i, I guess i took for granted above mountain designs going down and talking to staff there having a look at the latest gear that kind of thing i'm already kind of missing that a little bit mm. um being around backpackers is interesting because most of them don't know about the track and they're not really it's not like it was 30 40 years ago maybe where most people going to YHAs were walkers or you know outdoor enthusiasts mm. now they 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 um, might be to some degree but yeah and certainly some people have expressed an interest you know they've come over to our reception desk and asked about it or or sometimes got us confused with the YHA reception desk <laughs> and asked for the key to their room but anyway that's all right um yeah i'm not sure where it would lead um it's interesting we're starting to talk to the YHA about you know um, marketing you know, each other and working that because mm-hmm. obviously we've been promoting YHA for a while because we have walker friendly businesses along the track that are YHAs mm. Albany Walpole etc mm. so we already have that relationship so it'd be interesting to grow that so yeah I think that'll be good yeah for us it's just a matter of getting used to being in a different environment and different office where everything is just working differently for us after being in one place for 20 years. Because mm. yeah. I suppose there's a lot of synergy with having people that have time on their hands and want to experience something that mm. you could, mm. you know, there's a bus leaving at this time, mm. we're going to go do, yeah. you know, Mundaring Weird at Hewitt's mm. Hill or something That's right. Like that. So I think initially we'd be looking at some kind of day walk program, working mm. something like that, and possibly even working in some kind of discount arrangement. So if they stay at the YHA, they get a discount on a walk or vice versa. Mm. Um, so, you know, th- there are opportunities to explore. Maybe some mm. cheap labour as well. <laughs> get them volunteering on a section. Hey, guys, we need to do this on the track. <laughs> Who wants a free meal or two? <laughs> get a crew of 100 out there in one day and get it done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. You never know. Probably be a good service to, <laughs> to give that information to some of the tourists who come because a lot of mm. people are woefully mm. unprepared for Western mm. Australia. Mm. I yeah. remember once we were at, at Beavis campsite and right. we ran into a French tourist who got lost and got to that, that point. And we asked him where he was from and he couldn't tell us. And from discussions as to where he possibly came from, we discovered it was Beetle Up Falls. Right. So that's, wow. that's a whole day's that's walking. That's a long walk. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's, it's probably wow. good if you can tell people, like, you know, mm. maybe they should do Get Lost with Steve before <laughs> they go <laughs> um, on, on a lighter note, What's one of the, the funniest or weirdest things that have happened on a BTF event you've run? Ah, yes. There's been lots over the years. <laughs> okay, so this one will I'll take to the grave. <laughs> this one because I just I can't put it out of my mind at all. So we run um, two of our up upper-end tours, uh, two of those a year, the Bibbulmun Beyond in May, which I've just finished, oh, and yeah. the eight-day highlights in September. So these are the su- the supported tours that we do. We stay in accommodation and we walk different sections of the trail. 
over the eight or nine days that the tour goes for. And this was some years ago, and I don't actually remember the person's name. But at that point, we stayed at the Treetop Walk Motel in Walpole. And for those of you that aren't aware of how that motel is structured, you basically um, open your motel door, you've got your little veranda, and then you're in the car park. And all the motel rooms are all in kind of a row, a bit of a U-shape, actually, the way the building's structured. And we had a number of rooms. I think we had I think we had 17 of us all up, so it was twin chair kind of arrange, arrangement mainly. And so we had all the rooms from number one up to whatever is number nine or something. And with those tours, we do a lot of work. We get up very early to prep for that day and pack the bus or do whatever we need to do. So usually we're up about five in the morning, but at 4.30, there's a knock on the door. And I thought, I didn't hear it at first, or didn't, you know, I must have been dreaming or something. Knocked again. I thought, that is someone at the door. So I turned on the light, opened the door, and there's one of our participants in her dressing down, holding a pillow and a doona, and she's staring at me, and she says, what are you doing in my room? <laughs> I went, uh, hang on, what? 4.30 in the morning, I just woke up. I'm, this is my room. <laughs> you know? She says, no, this is my room. I'm going, it's not. It's my room. And there's Jim, my other guy, in bed still. <laughs> Over there. <laughs> and, and I went... And then she kind of realized that all of a sudden she'd knocked on the wrong door. And I went, well, hang on a minute. You're not escaping that quickly. What the hell are you doing at 4.30 in the morning knocking on my door? Where have you been and where have you come from? You know. And she says, oh, no, it doesn't matter. I'm okay. And I'm going, no, no, what's going on? You know, I was, you know, at that point, I wasn't thinking there's been a bit of, you know, hanky-panky going on yeah. or anything <laughs> like that, which I didn't think about later, but it was someone else said to me. But... I thought, you know, something's not right here. <laughs> you don't knock on my door at 4.30 in the morning carrying your bedding and not really dressed. And it was raining outside too. It was cold. And I said, what's the matter? And she says, oh, no, it doesn't matter. And I finally got it out of it. And she said that the person that she was sharing with was snoring and she couldn't get to sleep and she didn't have any earplugs. So she decided <laughs> eventually that it was that bad that she'd go sleep on the park bench. Oh, no. <laughs> so she took a tuna and her oh, pillow and slept on the, on the bench and the, on the veranda. When I say park bench, it was mm. that style of bench. And slept the night. And then at 4.30 decided, right, that's enough. I'm going, getting up and getting into bed, except she knocked on the wrong door. And I said to her, really? <laughs> you know, could have asked for earplugs. You could have come to me and I could have maybe even got another room for you, you know, because this was not the first night of the tour. Mm. We're halfway through the tour at this point. Mm. So it was just, yeah, bizarre. You sure Very. it wasn't a booty call for Jim? <laughs> <laughs> have you it got was... a Jim story for us? Because he's known as the, the mad axeman on your... I know that for a fact he won't be listening to this podcast, no. so it's open slather, right? Yeah. <laughs> I still don't think Jim knows what the internet is. Yeah. Go ahead. What's your best Jim story? Oh, geez. How do I choose? All right. Let's stick with the same motel. Okay. So we're still at the Treetop Walk Motel. We'd come back from a day's walk. He was unloading. uh, We'd unloaded the bus and he was unpacking um, things because we provide lunch on that. So he's doing the dishes, putting stuff in the fridge. I'd gone back into town to refuel the bus. I come back. The door to the motel room is fully open. And there is what looked to me like blood all over the floor and all over the walls. And I just went, what? 
<laughs> what has gone on here? And there was no gym to be found. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, God. Is, is he dead under the bench or something? Or, you know. Is this how he got his mad axeman? <laughs> <laughs> no. And on closer inspection, because I was at the door and this was right at the back of the room, and I looked at it and it was beetroot. And what he'd done, he'd knocked the beetroot container, it just splattered everywhere. And of course, his first reaction was to get the white towels from oh, the bathroom no. oh, to dear. clean it up. So he was over at the laundry trying to clean out the beetroot from the towels, which was never going to work. Oh, that would not have been suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's just one of them. There's plenty more, but yeah, that's a whole podcast on its own. <laughs> yeah, we'll save that one for the future. <laughs> we'll have a, a gym story one. Okay, we'll pause here for a word from our sponsors, Studio. Um, how are you enjoying your Regent headphones, Don? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, last, last episode, I only just got them. So, I didn't really have a chance to really field test them, but I've actually extensively field tested them. So, the last episode of the pod was edited with these headphones. Up until now, I've been a bit of a Sennheiser man, but I was really impressed with the studios. I actually thought they were comparable quality, and they were also a lot lighter. Um, And recently, I had to go for a meeting in Melbourne, and I used these on the flight. And they were really good because, you know, my old pair were really quite bulky. And I'm getting comparable quality with a much lighter headphone that folds away nicely. So I, I think that this is um, a really good headphone. I, and not, you know, not just saying it. I've, I've tried it in the field, and it actually will now be the one I travel with. And also, because I know you like to hear the sounds of the forest while you're out hiking, and Studio do a great product. It's called the Tray, and it's designed so you can still listen to music, but then be aware of your surroundings. So right. if you're going for a run especially the trail runners out there that are listening, if you still want to hear what's going on and, you know, hear cars or other runners or whatever, then these are the the headphones to have. Um, Yeah, sound quality is great. You can still hear other people, you know, drop bears if they come out of the forest. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, highly recommended. Great product. Bluetooth, rechargeable, battery life's great. Yeah. Yeah. What I really like about the model that I have is it's both Bluetooth and it has a cord. So, you know, if you want the convenience, it's there. And if you want the cord, it's there. So that's that's great because, you know, having that option is really, I think, really useful because maybe your battery is running low, you need the mm. power. But then also maybe you want the convenience of no cord. So, yeah, very much really enjoying the studios. Yeah. And for our listeners out there, if you want to purchase a studio headphone, um, yeah, great products. And if you enter in Trail Talk or One Word, you get a 15% discount on us with free shipping. So obviously the the foundation runs a lot of events and they kind of they range from you know workshops to full tours. Given enough planning, funds, and maybe support, what kind of events would you like to see run in the future? This is a hard one to answer. I've kind of yeah. I I guess what's on the radar for me, I guess, is a twenty five year celebration, which will be in what twenty twenty three. Mm. Um, so I'd really like to do something like that because we did something for the 10th anniversary of the current track. Um, that was a lot of work, but a lot of fun. That was pretty amazing. Whether it's an end-to-end or something else, I'm not sure. But I guess, yeah, something something to do for that would be good. I think we already um, spoke about it before the podcast, actually. We talked about the team challenge. I'd like for that to fire up again. I, that was just so much fun. So for those that aren't aware of that, what we basically did was we took out uh, mainly corporates, but not always. It was schools and individuals as well would enrol, teams of four, and we'd actually have competition 
activities out on the track. So we'd not only walk for four days, but there'd be all these activities popping up, kind of like a survivor kind of thing out on the track. Um, that was just so much fun. Um, so I'd really like that to take off again. It might be in a different format or something like that. But yeah, um, given funds and the right economic climate too, mm-hmm. yeah, um, that would be really good. But other than that, really, I mean, I guess I just come back to the whole reason why the foundation's there and why the events program is there, and that's to really just to get people out into the bush. So any kind of event does that, you know, ticks the box for me. Mm. Yeah, helping you out doing one of the corporate um, kind of team days. Mm. I was looking at all the challenges. I was like, yep. this is exactly like Survivor. And I, had my, <laughs> I have the same brand of shirt that Jeff Probst wears, and I was wearing it that day. I right. was just like... Could be Jeff Probst, but I was in the the team with Jim, and Jim was directing everyone and getting grumpy. I was like, "All right, I'll put my host host things away." But yeah, because I originally emailed the foundation years ago when I started hiking and saying I'd like to sign up for the challenge, and then got the response right. saying we we're not doing it this yeah, year. Maybe right. in the future. I was yeah. quite looking forward to it because it yeah. sounded like a cool two or three days to get yeah. that going. Yeah, so we last ran that in 2012, I think. Yeah, um, there just wasn't the the support, for it. and it ran for more than 10 years. So every year in October, November, um, over a four week period. Mm. Yeah, that was good fun. But yeah, that 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 team building day we did, and we still do team building days for organisations um, every now and then. But yeah, having a four day event just brought out the best in people more than a one day does. Mm. Yeah. You could yeah. structure it like one team stays at one hut, like Hewitt's Hill. The other yeah. team stays at Ball Creek, and then they have to walk to the challenges in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Get like a mini, a, a university film crew or something to put it together, a, a DVD mini reality series for them. You charge yeah. quite a lot. Could do. Yeah, we Could should do. do it if they get it back. But we, if we do. We also need to get someone who like insists that they're a great puzzle master, but are terrible. I'm <laughs> <laughs> great at puzzles, and they just suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like someone to nominate themselves. I'm the leader, guys. Like, yep. <laughs> Off you go. <laughs> You're first out. <laughs> you can go stay at Mundaring Wee Hotel for the rest of the challenge. <laughs> yeah, see, the team challenge wasn't quite like Survivor when it came to evicting people. <laughs> there were quite a few people that tried to self-evict, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't happen either. <laughs> yeah, no, always good fun, that one. So, Steve, you run the food in a fuel stove workshop about making your own dehydrated meals for a track. And one of our friends have actually, has actually done it and really enjoyed the event. What's your all-time favorite recipe or go-to meal that you always go back to? And and also maybe for listeners who don't know, like, hmm. you know, with this whole f- food and the fuel stuff, what does that entail and what do you actually do in this workshop? Okay, well, maybe I'll answer that first. So what we do, it's a hands-on workshop. We we actually cook up uh, 15 different recipes in the course of the uh, evening. And so we have different groups, different menus um, that we cook from. And the ingredients that we use are both from just the supermarket aisle and also ingredients that I've dried myself. We also chuck in a few of the freeze-dried meals so people get a bit of an idea of what they're like too because really they're not that cheap. They're um, convenience. And then the thing I've found with those ones, a lot of people don't try them before they go out because of the price, right? So it's a good idea to have a bit of a you know taste test of that to see, well, am I going to like this kind of meal or yeah. not? Mm. So that's part of it too. So we do... Um, 10 mains, 
so dinner mains and we also do desserts as well and then we also talk about breakfasts and lunches and that kind of thing um, so you get a really good spread of um, of nutritious food that you can cook when you're out on the trail and I guess it, it's mainly designed just to give people that extra confidence I guess with experimenting a little bit more um, and we talk about dehydrated food too so we talk about not we don't go into depths of you know when you cut up your apple this is what you need to do to it because there's so much of that online but I do talk about the rehydration process how you deal with food out onto the track how you there's different stoves and there's different preferences with stoves as well um, so it's a bit of an all-round course I guess um, so just to give people get people away from the two-minute noodles or whatever it is that they eat that they're bored with or you know mm. just want to venture out a little bit more and as I say at the workshop you know once you get yourself a dehydrator a whole world opens up mm. and whether you dry the ingredients or entire meals is up to you I've done both for my walks um, sometimes I quite like the ritual of cooking out of campsites. Other times I just like pouring the hot water over and <laughs> letting it rehydrate yeah. and then eating, right? Mm. <laughs> it depends. Um, so, you know, we give people that option, but it's, it, you know, and they get a whole recipe book and then another handout with a whole lot of tips and web links and, you know, other reference material too. Um, but people are amazed um, how much how effortless I guess dehydrating is but how much weight it saves mm. um, you know so it's it's really handy and it's just again one of those other events that we run as part of the whole picture of hiking um, one of my go-to meals well I don't know that I've got necessarily just one certainly on the last end-to-end -end, I did the um, chickpea pumpkin chickpea curry uh, which was dried was outstanding that was one of the best meals that we had and we you know out of our menu which might have been you know three or four different dinner recipes that was one of them they just rotated that one was the standout there was another one that i think got thrown in the bin after the first week and then we went with something else <laughs> we just made it up it was pretty bad so did you make the whole thing in there or was it was it completely dehydrated and then yeah re, re, completely rehydrated completely made up at home then yeah. dried and then rehydrated out on site yeah um and it came up much better than what I thought it would actually mm. yeah so that was a real winner um so that that one you know I have a fair bit but you know there's other ones that I you know I dry my own hummus I make and make the hummus too and dry that and that's just yeah I love it I had hummus nearly every single day for lunch mm. you know as part of my my wraps on that end to end so yeah brilliant stuff um to get that recipe out for you because I'm yeah. due to dehydrate some meals right. on the weekends yep. so yeah perfect mm. hummus is such an easy thing to do yeah. i guess also yeah. being because you're a, you're a vegetarian yeah. that a lot of the meals the vegetarian meals that they have for freeze-dried food are not really great no i know a lot of people have said this to me it's mm. like what do you do because mm. it's just so hard and really the answer mm. is you have to dehydrate and make mm. your own food mm. yeah and yeah. it works out to be so much cheaper and oh, yeah. you're controlling yeah. what goes in absolutely and a lot of the freeze-dried meals you can buy all the dehydrated meals they're full of salt mm. or numbers <laughs> yeah, or numbers, they're not that tasty. And, yep. you know, I mean, as you said, it's not that much effort to cook something mm. up. And the dehydrator, you just set and leave. You're just checking mm. on it every now and then. So it's just, it's mm. not a big effort. Most of the stuff I dry is overnight. You mm. know, I just put it on before I go to bed and then mm. in the morning it's done. Yeah. And, and the meat in freeze-dried meals is very similar to foam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and actually, in actual fact, it is mostly soy. 
You know, is like, that is right? That, a lot of them are actually like soy and textured mm-hmm. vegetable protein mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. mixed with meat. Mm. So it's like mm. like you know, it's like half animal, half vegan meat mm. put together <laughs> as this horrible monstrosity that's neither, you know, what yeah. It, Occasionally, like, I think the spaghetti that backcountry make is really good. Right. But then you have terrible ones like beef and pasta hot pot, which... Or the breakfast, where the bacon bacon bits are terrible salty messes, yeah. That one, when you had it, it looked like they had breakfast, put it in a blender and went, yep, done. (laughs) Well, not that I'm going to have it again because I'm vegetarian, but I would never cook that one again. Like, it's not that hard to cook vegetarian meals, yep. especially with all the recipes online these yep. days. And Absolutely. then to dehydrate them, it's even easier. Mm. You just chop it up a little finer. and mm. yeah. I have heard people had have different successes with drying stuff. Um, so there is a little bit of a knack to it. But, you know, once you've kind of found your groove, it's easy sailing. Mm. You know, and there's lots of advice out there too, like I said. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard the backcountry desserts are pretty good. They are. Mm. Yeah, I had, the apple, I had the apple crumble one night, and I was just like, I can't eat this. I got through half of it. I was like, it's terrible. The apricot one's really good. Okay, I might have to try that one. Yeah, was, did you find it too sweet or too something else? Just the texture wasn't right. Okay, and it yeah. just felt like you were eating. Like I could eat apple mush, but this just was <laughs> like overspiced apple mush, <laughs> right. and then the crumble bit just didn't work when you tried to. It was just a biscuit, though, isn't it? The crumble. Yeah, you, you like you try and put it top. on top, and yep. then that ruins the texture. Right, <laughs> right. Anyway, they've got another one called strawberry ice cream. I've had that one. It's not ice cream, but it's, it's not, not bad. I. I reckon I was, you know, jumping out of my skin after I had that. It was so sweet. <laughs> it was so full of sugar. Yeah. That I don't think I slept. <laughs> there, there is actually one of their, their savory ones. Ah. And I actually quite I quite like it except for the fact that it's way too sweet. They have like right. a Thai um, green curry with rice. Okay. And it just tastes like sugar. Right. It, everything Ooh. else about it is really good. Like you eat it and the first few bites are great. By the time you yeah. finish it, you're just like... Ooh, yeah, like I needed okay. more chili, less sugar. Mm. Wow. And that comes down to something I was going to ask you about, Steve, mm. is the actual calorie intake of a mm. hiker. Because mm. when you're doing an end-to-end, sometimes it's physically impossible to both consume enough calories and mm. carry enough calories. Mm. Yep. And a lot of people end up like, I don't know an uh, end-to-ender who did it, and she was tiny to start with. Right. And she couldn't fit in her pants at the end. She got even skinnier. So yeah, right. like, what tips would you give people that's... to up their calorie intake? Yeah, um, that's an interesting thing. I th- there's variations there. I've only ever met one person, other than the one you just told me about, obviously, um, that had actually lost so much weight. And this person actually had to leave the track because he had lost too much weight. Um, I found that when I did my first end-to-end, that that's something I didn't think about. Um, when I did all my food rations, it was the same ration the whole way through, the same amount of food, same amount for dinner, lunch, whatever it was. And by the time I got to Pemberton, so two-thirds of the way through, I was ravenous. I was eating other people's food. I just couldn't get enough. Mm. Um, So, (coughs) pardon me. I know that when I do long walks like that, I up the the calories as well, just generally the the ration itself. So, for example, for breakfast, where I'd normally just have porridge, I'd be putting in fruit and nuts. Um, for lunch, um, where I might be having, say, one wrap, I'd be having two, um, which increases the weight of your pack. But, you know, there's some ways you just can't get around that. For dinner, um, see, I, going to the dessert thing, I'd usually only have dessert once every three days. I wouldn't have it every night. It's 
too, for me, it's too much. Mm. But what I also wasn't doing in that first part of the walk was snacking. I had no trail mix. I just didn't bother with it. Mm. But then after Pemberton, I had it, you know. So whatever it is that you like in trail mix, whether it's the sweet stuff or just the fruit and nut kind of mix or whatever it is, works. Um, I actually, even at one point, because I dried my own tofu, I was snacking on that. While I was walking, dried like not dried. rehydrated. Yeah, is just it, dried. Is it nice? I like chips. I did it really finely. Oh, yeah. that sounds good. And um, yeah, uh, I had it like that. Yeah, but I've had um, you know beetroot chips and that kind of thing too. Oh, they yeah, are yum. so they're yum. They're lightweight, you know, and they're good carbs. Mm. Um, yeah, so you definitely have to think about upping it. And like I've said to people, when you get into a town, don't be afraid to splurge a little oh, bit yeah, too, go right? Because like you, yeah doesn't cost anything to camp when you're out there so you've well, got like all this saving there's the saving too but just you know you will you you can eat as much as you like because you're going to lose it probably yeah. you know? <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know well, um, thing, like i normally yeah. go like if i'm doing a five-day hike it's mm. i'm looking forward to trimming down <laughs> right <laughs> it's like right. you live in sure. excess in the first yeah, world entirely and, yeah, yeah like most of the time i physically can't eat anyway like I'm right. just not hungry. Mm. Um, I don't know why I lose my appetite. That's out actually there. quite common. Yeah, a lot yeah. of people lose their appetite. I'm not sure what's going on there, what the physiology there is. I'm not quite sure. Mm. But um, yeah, a lot of people do. Other people don't. They go the other way completely. Mm. Yeah. Our friend Didier lost a lot of weight on the track. Although he yeah. was eating continental pasta a lot of the time. <laughs> which has no nutritional value. Yeah. 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 I know you love that and it's nice and cheap and it's easy to carry and everything, but come on, dehydrate your meals, did you? Get into it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you do have to watch that too. I mean, I know someone that every single night of their end-to-end had backcountry meal. Um, that would have been so expensive. <laughs> he got it sponsored. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's that's the secret. But I swear, I mean, obviously it didn't happen, but you know, I was making there were lots of jokes around the campsite about at which point, which night, there'd be green, green ooze coming out of his pores, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> he just ate nothing else but freeze-dried beer. Because you see on like the Facebook groups, like, oh, my friend was doing an end-to-end and they've had to pull out his 40 backcountry meals that they're no longer going to eat. Yeah. Like, go yeah. for your life and bid on them, mm. whatever. That's just, I can't yeah. I think, fathom eating that every yeah. single meal. Yeah. yeah. For, for a short hike, like, you know, um, when we did the Walls of Jerusalem or when I do the Wilson's Prom Circuit, mm. it'll all be backcountry and that's right. fine. Mm. But if yep. you're doing anything that's like a week, yep. I did I did one where it was all bought meals and then another mm. one where I, I dehydrated it and it was so mm. much better dehydrated. Mm. 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 I think, yeah, I mean, variety is the spice, right? Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, there is a place for the freeze-dried meals. I, I don't deny that. You know, it's kind of like the, might be the last meal of the trek because it's lightweight and, you know, it's not going to go off or whatever, you know. So, the, there is a place for it. Um, but, yeah, I guess I just, being vegetarian too, like you said, there's not that much of an option with mm. a lot of the freeze-dried meals. So, that's why, yeah, get that dehydrator out. Like, especially if you're having them at the start of a hike say a seven day hike it's a lot of packaging to take out as well mm. whereas if you dehydrate your own meals you're normally putting them into a snack bag or something mm. and that's fairly lightweight you can wash that out and reuse it mm. if you want mm. whereas yeah. some of the backcountry mm. meals you've got the bits you tear off mm. have to go bits. somewhere yeah. then the bit you eat in is yeah. like foil and kind of rigid mm. so yeah i mean it is it's a nice luxury to have if you can afford it and you mm. enjoy those meals mm. 
Mm. But yeah, as you yep. say, get on uh, to a uh, food in a fuel stove workshop with Steve and learn how to do it yourself. Absolutely. So moving on, we'll pick some low-hanging fruit <laughs> in terms of <laughs> questions. Um, what's your favorite section of the, of the trail and what's your favorite campsite? Sorry, of the track, not the trail. <laughs> <laughs> the, <building track. laughs> yeah. the what? Yeah. Um, look, I just can't answer that question. I don't have one favorite section because I think I have a few because of what they offer. But when I really think about it, it's not because of the section itself. It's the experience I've had on that section. Um, so, for example, Donnelly River to Pemberton is one of my favorite sections. I mean, I think it's really lovely, the mm. river, the, 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 the whole river valley. Um, I like the campsites, the, the carry, whatever it is. But it's also the very first section I ever walked on the new track. So it's got that special, you know, mm. I've got that attachment to it. Um, so it's really, really special for me. Um, but, you know, I could talk about a lot of sections like that and there's a specific reason why I, I really like it. Um, yeah, so there's... Wow. Yeah, it's it's too hard to answer. In terms of favourite campsite, it'd be remiss of me if I didn't say Narang because it's the one I look after, right? <laughs> yeah, I did not know that. Yes. Um, Can but, you... Actually, could you answer a question I've had about Narang? Yeah. Why is it that... So Narang is the one that is after Mount Cook. Correct. Right? Why is it that it has round pillars that mm. look natural rather mm. than the than the square, square pillars post. like everywhere else? Yeah. What's the story behind that? That's interesting. Um, so that is version number two, right? The first one got burnt down in the Mount Cook fire of 2003. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the same time as Mount Cook campsite, obviously. So um, when it was rebuilt, it was moved. So a new location, um, about half a kilometre further away-ish. And... Back then, we actually had a combined combined crew with um, the Jaredale, um Were they calm back then? I can't remember. But, you know, the now Parks and Wildlife. Um, Jaredale team, as well as Bookman Track Foundation volunteers. And the, the guy from Jaredale from Parks and Wildlife um, was involved in the original construction of the Narang campsite. And he wanted to do something special. And when we'd got there, the posts were already in the ground. So <laughs> they were just there. And it's just something he thought would be really nice for that campsite. It was just his personal touch. Oh, right. That's all it is. There was no, no design change or anything like that. It just that. happened. And yeah. I thought, this is pretty cool. <laughs> this is, you know, different. It's nice. So, yeah, um, that's how it came about, really. There's no, no real other story to it. It's just his personal touch. Mm. That's mm. great. But yeah, I mean, I don't know which is my favourite campsite. I mean, again, it's what happened at the, the various campsites. I mean, a lot of people don't like Mount Wells. I love Mount Wells. I like Mount Wells yeah. too. It's cool. I, I think it's, again, because it's a bit different. Um, I actually had a rest day there on my first through end to end because I'd done a sectional first and I'd already been there. Yeah. And I spent the day up in the tower reading my book, you know. Oh, that wow. was just yeah. awesome, you know. Um I was yeah. meant to be there tomorrow night, but I've got Achilles tendonitis. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I had to no. cancel this trip. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, put, I'll rephrase the question okay. then. What's your favourite style of campsite? Ah, yes. Okay. Or are you saying style of campsite or hut? or Shelter. shelter? <laughs> shelter. <laughs> Gwen's not listening. What's your favourite style of hut? <laughs> 
Okay. Um, I reckon, yeah, my favourite would have to be the Deep South. I don't actually remember the first time I saw one. Um, the Yeah, it would have been... Yeah, because I don't think there's a Deep South on that section between Donnelly River and Pemberton. Oh, uh, well, there's Tom Road, but that was pretty. That was a prototype, I guess. Yeah, it, was a bit different. it actually has a, an, uh, a bit of a, a safety problem because it doesn't have the pillar going all the way up yeah. the top. Tom Road? Tom Road. It, it, so the, the bunks yes. don't have... Um, the, 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 the post doesn't go all the way up. The post just stops, so you climb yes. up and it's like... Ugh. Yes, 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 I know what you mean now. Yeah, yeah it was fun. No, I was staying right. on the top bunk that yeah. first night and then, yeah. yeah, had to go to the bathroom quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Drank too much no water post. and I was just like, mm, <laughs> making too much noise here and there's other people around. But it does, that bunk there is a lot lower from the ceiling, from the roof that than most, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, Tom Road was the first one that was built um, on the new track. Um, it was built before the because it was the old track campsite it's the only one that was retained yeah. so it was done as a prototype but I think the, yeah, the deep south the table out the front the bedboard right across the middle um, yeah I guess I don't know I don't mind the Nornalups and I quite like the quirkiness of some of the Nornalups like Ramehead and Boat Harbour that have got that little annex bit yeah with like it. the Perspex the Perspex <laughs> yeah. yeah I think that's a good idea for those but yeah no, I, I for some reason I just like the um, deep souths mm. yeah I, I agree with you. And do yeah. you agree as well? Or are you a normal up? I don't know. Because, yeah, like they each have their advantages. Mm. I do enjoy the normal ups, just how much space you have. Right. And also sitting, because it's kind of like where it's like that little square kind of window. It's not really a window yeah. where you can sit on top of there and read yeah. a book or yeah. eat your dinner or whatever. Mm. Mm. Um, and that's the bit that I enjoy with the the original design. The standards. The standard, yeah. yeah. How you can have those little nooks out the front mm, where you can mm, sit. The little bench there. Yeah, mm. lean up against the post yep. and yep. do whatever. I enjoy that section of the mm. hut. Mm. But yeah, mm. again, it's kind of hard to... Yeah. They each have their character and I'd like to see that remain because I know at the Bill Woman Track mm. workshop that we all mm. attended, yeah. there was mm. a discussion on a standard that everyone would want. Mm. And I was like, no, you keep the character, keep the character. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. I, I like that you you stumble on a different design, and I yeah. guess you know the first hut that you know that I ever saw in a photo was the Walek hut, right? Um, which is the standard style, yeah. And I think that the the Deep South is the the deluxe version yes, of that. That's right. So I, I mm. like seeing mm. yeah. the Deep Souths because they to mm. me that that's what the Bibbulmun Track huts are, are in my imagination. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. They keep that flavor of the original style, don't they? Yeah. Um, in that sense. The thing I like about the Deep South too is that it's properly three-sided. It um, gives you a bit more protection from the weather, whereas the Nornalups have that kind of one and a half. Sort yeah, of they're not know. really yeah. a two-sided, are they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's, you know, and I guess with the, the Deep South, in the most part, they're designed to look at the view. So you're kind of forced to look at the view, you know what I mean? It kind of, we're facing this, re this way for a reason, mm. you know? So anyway, yeah, I don't know. Variety's good too. They're still better than any other shelters I've seen elsewhere in yeah. Australia. So, yeah, right. excellent. So, on on the topic of rebuilding huts and keeping the character, what are the odds that the new shelter at Helena will be designed as we described in episode ten? <laughs> Mark had a slightly ridiculous idea. Oh, oh, ridiculous! Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, I say ridiculous from a certain point of view. Others might say genius. Visionary. Visionary. <laughs> Visionary. Um, Mark wanted... <laughs> 
half hexagonal shape, <laughs> exploiting the great views. Um, and so is is Mark's idea going to come into fruition? And what's the timeline to see this hexagonal shaped hut? So the chances, none in Buckley's probably. <laughs> I say probably. I'm not giving a definite no. Okay? What if I die and leave all of my like super money to the foundation? <laughs> Will that buy me a hut? <laughs> <laughs> That's very carousy. Yeah, I think Karis will be a bit upset. <laughs> Just at not getting the money, she's fine with me not being. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, you might have a better chance if you put the design together and then as a proper proposal. Right, I don't get know. an email tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> You have detailed architectural sketches. Yeah. I have a friend who's a draftsman. He'll do me up something. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, um, Helena. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we know that we'll call it Mark's Shelter. The Shelter of Pi. The yeah. Shelter of Pi. The Mark yeah. Pipus Memorial Shelter. Oh, dear. The Sanctuary of Pi. I like that. Um, hmm, I think probably, yeah. It'll, it'll default to one of the existing designs. But um, so where we're at with Helena, um, the insurance money has only just come through, which is kind of good. But um, as many people know, whilst they are insured, they're insured for what was previously there. Um, so we had plans before Helena went to upgrade it to do quite a bit of work on the, the shelter and the campsite and that it started. We'd put in um, the foundations f- to extend the roof out to turn it into a deep south. But that got wiped out with the fire. So um, so obviously there will be a, a significant fort sh- a significant shortfall uh, of funds given the insurance won't cover any of the new stuff that we were planning to do. Um, so at this stage, yeah, whilst that money has still come in, we're still waiting for the area to be stabilised. It's going to take some time. We'll probably get through the winter first before anything really starts. Um, we know that some of the Wondu is still burning, um, which is why the track's still closed. It's really? Still, so there's, yeah. since from back then, from in January, there's still Wondu burning? It's still smouldering wow. away. Absolutely. We've only really had, what, that big rain right yeah. after and then a mm. couple of scattered showers. There hasn't been much too. at all. It's been a pretty bad autumn. Yeah. Mm. yeah. The endless summer continues. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's, yeah, so it's still going to take some time to, even for the track to reopen. Um, so the diversions will remain in place and the, the campsite itself will remain closed for some time yet. But, um, yeah, I don't know. There's been a bit of discussion whether they will go with a rammed earth design whether it be deep south or otherwise, and probably be deep south, I would say. Some there are some people talking. It might be Jarrah again, in the, you know the way it was constructed. With but, a burnt, burnt finish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I think Jarrah's a wonderful construction wood. <laughs> it just yeah, doesn't you hold have to up. Plant the trees for that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But yeah, look, we'll see. It's still it's still going to be a little way off. There's still a few decisions to be made there. Um, but yeah, until the whole area stabilizes, not a lot's going to happen. Yeah. Right. And on a more serious note, because a lot of the original shelters mm. were built within the prison system as kind of like mm. reward-based um, like projects mm. for the prisoners. Mm. With the insurance, is that ever an option, or is that now taken away as a, a viable 
way of saving money or getting the construction done? So the the way that worked back in the day when the track was being built, the all the wood was prefabricated in the prison. So the, the shelter wasn't built in the prison. It was just the wood was cut and drilled so that mm. when it came out on site, the, the volunteers or whoever that was putting it together just simply nailed it and bolted it together, yeah. um, put it together that way. So while the, the that doesn't happen anymore, the, the prison, um, the Department of Corrective Services, that they still call that, I've lost track, sure. um, they are still involved in terms of work crews going out onto the track on, and in other national parks and reserves as well and doing work around the state. Um, with regard to your question about it being insured and how that would work, I think there is a problem there. Yep. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not au fait with it all, so I'm not the best person to ask about that. But I would think that there might be a few hoops to jump to get mm. that happening. Mm. Yeah. So that is the, the last slot that were a request for tenders and the professional construction mm. team mm. went out to do it. Mm. Which yeah, with. I guess then there must be stipulations with mm. that kind of thing. Whereas yeah. in the old days, you could just get a prison crew to build it. Things have tightened up a bit. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So. Um, yeah, so with um, Brookton and Possum Springs and Gardner and Dogpool, mm. yeah, those four that got lost in the in that 2015 horrible, horrible week of fires that we had. Yeah, so um, look, from a foundation's point of view, we'd love to have a lot more volunteer involvement, and really, the department's been really good um, recently with that. The volunteers, the volunteer programs that we're running now, getting. Um, are expanding and so the volunteers are having a lot more involvement in construction and reconstruction and things like that so yeah um that's i, I see that expanding into the future so we'll just see where that goes mm. cool and obviously one of the benefits of being a billman track member is you get um help with your planning of an end-to-end -end. Mm. and obviously you know you become a member you get that but is there anything kind of like basic advice that you would give someone thinking about doing an end-to-end -end or maybe planning at the moment doing an end-to-end? -end? What's your best bit of advice to give them? Come and talk to the foundation. <laughs> <laughs> no, in ser seriously, though, I do mean that because I do see a lot of people that don't really get either enough advice or the right kind of advice. Um, there's, there's a lot of information out there. Some of it's great, some of it not so great. But, you know, to some extent, it's all pretty helpful. But we still occasionally get people um, heading out to do an end-to-end -end and the day before they come and buy the maps. Oh, God. You know? And so it's like, well, that kind of says to us, you haven't really thought this through as much as what we'd like you to. Mm. Um, so, yeah, talk to us early or talk to get, get advice early. I mean, that's, that'd be the biggest... Um, bit of advice but gener more generally speaking um, I guess what I'm seeing a lot more of are people relying on their mobile phone for emergencies um, so you know that's something I'd raise with people as well if they, mm. you know, that's one thing I'll just go look there's lots of things you need to consider but be prepared um, and don't walk in summer <laughs> don't use your phone or don't rely on your phone mm. I should say for emergency purposes um, but yeah, you're right. We we offer trip planning for um, people that are members, but you know it doesn't preclude others from ringing up or emailing us and asking for a bit of advice on a specific pop topic they've got a question about. You know, we're, well, that's what we're there for. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Talk to other people um, that have done it. There's so much advice around blogs, whatever. Um, 
yeah, the, I, I don't, the thing that really I don't understand is that people that go out there that don't bother to look for that information in the first place, no matter where they might look for it. You know? mm, mm. Um, so that'd be my, my best bit of advice. Talk to someone that's either done it or talk to us. Mm, mm. Yeah. yeah, definitely a lot of people on the Facebook groups are utilising mm. like the wealth of information that people yeah. have that have done yeah. end-to-ends and yeah. they can quite happily answer these questions mm. although they do get grumpy when the same questions come up <laughs> over and over again that's why we have faqs on our website yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what the search functions for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a funny story that i was told about a guy who, who rocked up on the bibman really was unprepared was he got to hewitt's hill and said so where do we buy our meals from mm-hmm. And he genuinely, he was walking with like um, like a briefcase sort of bag or wow. something and just was not prepared because he was mm. expecting refugios. Yep. Did and you yep. hear the word hut? Thought, <laughs> Someone's going to take my money for accommodation and food. Yes. I think that was it, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that still happens. That's not an isolated case. It doesn't happen often, but absolutely. Um We've had, um, yeah, people saying, so do we have to pay for food now or do we buy it out there or, you know, how does it work? That kind of thing. Um, absolutely. They, um, particularly amongst Europeans, they do think that, you know, there's a, a town, every village or whatever, every day and they can just buy supplies as they go. I suppose you're easily fooled because if you start at Kalamunda, <clears throat> you've got Mundaringwe Hotel straight away. But that first Possibly. section is... Mm. 8 to 12 days depending on how long you take mm. all the way through to dwelling up that's right yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and that, that's what does catch some people out um, yeah it's a tricky thing <laughs> I don't know I mean we can only do what we do I don't know more, what more we can do to you know publicise that to people and say look yeah and, and I've met the converse people have taken tried to take their food for the whole journey mm. you know I remember I walked into Helena campsite and there was bags of food hanging from the rafters. And there was a note in the red book, which basically said, <laughs> it's very poetic, it says, I now realise the futility of trying to carry my food the whole way. <laughs> it, was, it was brilliant. Oh, um, and I, I actually met the person that did that before he started the walk because he was a person <laughs> that arrived two days before his walk from Queensland yep. and bought the maps two days prior and then went and bought all his food. <laughs> and there were lots of bags. I mean, I ate what I could, mostly chocolate. <laughs> Why would you leave chocolate? Anyway, um, and then I carried the rest out. But yeah, it was um, there was a lot of food there. Yeah, I think the yeah. uh, like the food drops at towns and various mm. visitor centres is woefully underused. If you mm. could do it as an end to end, I don't think people realise that mm. you could mail it forward, and someone yeah. will actually hold on to it in yeah. good faith, knowing mm. that you're coming through. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, you know, when you're coming from overseas too, that section from Kalamunda to Dwelling Up, I know there are track angels out there, but five years ago there weren't, and so I used to meet a lot of people. Um, walking carrying 12 days worth of food because they mm. didn't even think about north banister um at that stage either um posting something there so yeah i've seen some hikers with their big backpack on the back and then another one on the front <laughs> you know, with all their food in it but yeah it's um come and talk to us there are ways around it <laughs> so you know we've obviously talked a fair bit about the events and the events that you you run and the biblical track foundation in general 
what can people do to find out more about the events that the foundation runs if they want to you know mm. maybe they're new to it or they they want to you know they want to go and learn how to read a compass or how mm. to cook mm. something on a mm. stove yeah so um, the easiest way is just to hop on our website and see what programs are coming up. But if they want constant reminders, they can subscribe to our email lists. You know, there's always something on Facebook too whenever an event's coming up. You know, um, so just just get in touch with us really. Any which medium, I guess, that suits the the user is fine. But um, we have our, our, our mailing list that you can subscribe to. So Bibman Bytes email news, you can get onto our website and subscribe to that. You can um, flick us an email and we'll add you to it. And um, yeah, that'll be fine. Um, so these events come around all the time. So if you think you've missed out because the event's just passed or it's not the right timing for you, there'll be another one coming up anytime soon. So, yeah, just get in touch. Yeah, and as Billman Track users, I mean, we always encourage people to become members. And as we're saying, there is a bit of a shortfall with the Helena campsite. So any way to contribute is... Hmm always going to help and absolutely yeah being a free trail i mean a lot of people take advantage of that it's always good to give back at the same time yeah i always think it's not free mm. you know you really should give back to it yeah because you know? it's not a parks and wildlife run track it's people in an office coordinating everything like it costs money and if you're going to mm. use that then like i'm not saying you should become members like you have to but it's a good option you do actually get good value from it Absolutely. And we always say, you know, it costs money to keep a track free, so to speak. So, <laughs> mm. yeah, absolutely. So becoming a member, donating, whatever it is, um, membership, obviously, we, we love. And there are benefits to becoming a member, too. And, you know, I will say that people complete an end-to-end -end and then come back and go, wow, I just did all that. I didn't have to pay for it. Mm. I'll become a member or I'll donate. Or, mm. And in some cases, people um, make bequests. Mm. as well so another mm. way of donating yep enough to get a campsite <laughs> 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 no I, I don't plan on dying <laughs> I need to complete my end to end alright and on that note thanks very much for coming in Steve it's been great to have you in and obviously your knowledge is invaluable we can't put a price on that uh, yeah thanks great, yeah. great to speak to you and also We'll expand on there's only a limited time frame. You're off to Italy for a trip, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm doing another one of my private walks, so I'm just going to explore the Dolomites. Ah! <laughs> totally jealous. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's happening in June, July. What are you doing? Um, I'm basing myself... I haven't fully planned it, actually. I'm basing myself in Cortina di Ampezzo and... Um, just doing day walks at this stage i'm not yeah i kind of want to have a mix between doing a few trails but also just you know sitting and relaxing in the town kind of thing too so it's a bit mm -hmm. of a holiday as well but yeah i'm looking forward to it i haven't been to the dolomites and I haven't been to italy for a long time so yeah sounds like a great trip that yeah, was, yeah one of my dream trails is in the dolomites nice so i hope you enjoy it i will and thanks for having me on excellent yeah always a pleasure um, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks with an episode on Karajini. Yes, we'll talk about it's you know coming up to the season when people should go up there and see one of the most spectacular sites in not just Western Australia, but Australia. And we'll be back with that, and Alyssa will be back for that one, so yeah, stay tuned. By popular demand. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs>